This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. a very blessed afternoon to all of you here on Radio K Pulpit and it is Lauren Jacobs with Voice of Change Time. It is going to be a really, really great show today because I'm joined by an incredible woman all the way out from Arizona today and we're going to be talking about, you know, a little bit about archaeology but mostly we're going to be talking about ancient biblical women, how to ground them, where to find them and how we need to draw on more than just moral applications or spiritual spiritual lessons from their lives, but actually to really, really discover the look, the feel, the real lives of ancient biblical women. How do we do that? Well, there are many, many ways that we can and should do that. And so today's show is going to be quite exciting as I'm joined by Professor Beth Alpert Nakai. Now, Beth is an associate professor in the Arizona Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, and she also received her master's in theology studies from Harvard Divinity School, her MA and PhD from Arizona University, and her books include Archaeology and the Religions of Canaan and Israel, and she's also edited half a dozen edited volumes. She's currently working on a book about women who have been working in Levantine archaeology. She has done so many things, and also there was an honorable kind of essays that were released in archaeology in honor of her and it's so incredible because she's done so much work she is such a powerful woman speaking on the findings and on the history of israel and also on you know the need for us to really discover biblical women now why is this really important and why did i feel to cover this on voice of change today where we talk about controversial current and necessary conversations well i believe that you know for for such a long time like I said we have been trying to find biblical women just through the morals of their lives just through what we in our 21st modern century like to think about them but yet when we remove them from the ancient culture we can actually get our theology a little bit wrong when we just in you know interpret individuals in the bible through a modern lens and so today it is going to be you know sometimes a little bit controversial what we're going to be sharing and also hopefully thought-provoking so it's going to be a great show today and you know what I posted on social media that I was having this conversation with Beth and so many people commented, especially women commented and said, I love hearing about women of the Bible, but I'm really interested in their lives from their own context. So social media was slightly a bit of buzz when I, when I posted about this. So this is the show you've been waiting for. Stay tuned. Beth is with me after this. Beth, it is so good to have you with me today. I know that there's going to be quite a lot that we're going to touch on and just so much that we're going to learn from you today and be inspired by this conversation. But before we get into that, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being with me today all the way from the other side of the world out in the US. But it's so amazing that we are connecting like this and it's going to be such a great time together on the show. So welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and For me, living in a pretty remote part of the United States in the middle of the Southwest to be broadcasting to talking to you in South Africa, it's amazing. And I really want to thank you for reaching out to me. Mm, It's such a pleasure. It's so amazing, right, how we can do this now, how we can connect like this together and have these conversations and 
it's it's so incredible and to be inspired and educated and to learn so much. And I know today we're going to be talking about women in the Bible, ancient Israelite women, which is such a passion of yours. You've done so much work in this area for so long. And one of the big things that I see when people approach the Bible, you know, and especially when we look at women's stories in the Bible is that we often approach the Bible looking for this moral lesson, right? You know, that life application, looking for those moral lessons, life applications that we can use for everyday life and going, wow, what does this mean to me today? You know, how can I apply this today or how I live? But they, they, seems to be that tendency when we approach women of the Bible as well. We seek the moral lessons from their actions. We go, hey, how, you know, can she teach me? You know, if I look at Ruth, how do I learn from her? What does this mean to me? But when we approach the Bible like that, how does that kind of take away from women in the Bible? And how should we really change our approach to women in the Bible and also see them as maybe historical figures? You know, a lot of people accept the Bible as truth and and a lot of it they accept as being historical. So then we place women also in a historical category. And then we say, you know, how do we see them? And how does just seeking out morals from the Bible, how does that take away from women in the Bible? How, how can we better our approach when we look at women and not just saying, what can I learn from them? So it's such a big and complicated question that you pose, and it's such an important question um, because people come to the Bible from all kinds, such a broad range of faith-based communities, and also people, you know, approach the Bible as a kind of quote-unquote secular document, as a um, historical It's not a history book, of course, but as a historical piece from the past. Hmm. And so obviously the Bible means so many different things to so many different people. And there's never one answer or response to what the kind of questions that you've posed um, in your short moment, you posed, I don't know, a dozen topics (laughs) that we can pursue and talk about, of course. Um, the first thing I would say is that I'm, I, I have no opposition and, and nothing I say stands in opposition to simply reading the Bible, whatever language you read it in, whatever translation of the Bible you read, and taking those traditional moral lessons from them. Of course, that's part of what's important to so many people. What I think about when I'm looking at the Bible and trying to learn from it, I I kind of go in two directions. One direction is to learn about, I mean, to think about what it, what the meaning is for people. What are those lessons? Um, What, you know, what can we understand? But the other part of what I think about is who are those people that we're learning from? Hmm. And that and that part of the question is exceptionally complicated um, because the Bible, for the most part, I mean, I, no one can say you know, to what percentage, but for the, you know, almost completely was written by men, hmm. for men, and about men, and not just any men, but men in the elite communities of ancient Israel. So 
they had a point when they show us, I think you mentioned Ruth, when they show us Ruth, they don't like live, you know, do a live interview with Ruth like you're doing <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. They don't have video footage and they talk to her family and they look at what was her life like in Moab and what was it like when she came, you know, back with her um, mother-in-law and then um, married and so forth. So it's quite a, um, you know, the, whatever picture we get, we get a filtered picture. And so I think what we always need, what I need to worry about and, and wonder about and what kind of drives my passion is to figure out what were those lives like in ancient times. It's one part of it. I guess the other part of it, of course, is why are men telling stories the way they're telling them? Mm-hmm. And what do that, you know, they didn't know when they were telling those stories or writing them down that we would end up with what we call the Bible or the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament. Um, they didn't know what the mm-hmm. end product was going to be, but still they had a point. And so you know, that's one kind of consideration. The consideration of what real lives were like is another part of the story. And I guess that's kind of what um, pulls my attention more directly Mm. I love that you mentioned that. I think that that you and I share that in common because it's always like, I wish there was some kind of biography, right? That was written, <laughs> at least like you said, some, you know, couldn't we not do some live interviews with Ruth or with, you know, Esther <laughs> or somebody? Could we not hear what how their description of their lives would be? And I think that that is something that I, I wish people would think about more how would they describe their life? How would they describe their time that they lived in? Or, you know, when we think about empowerment, for example, a lot of times people look at women in the Bible and go, oh, wow, they just seem to be not empowered. You know, they seem to be at home or they seem to be doing this. And maybe they wouldn't have understood their lives like that. You know, maybe they wouldn't have understood it as we trying to understand it and going, actually, we were empowered here and we did have agency here and we did have this here. We didn't understand it like you guys understand it. And it's it's so interesting because I think that we can often forget that the that the many, many different things we read in the Bible was in a context, in its own context. And we forget about that context. We just go, oh, what can we learn? And then we forget there was a bigger world that these people lived in. And I think it's so important. So that brings me to, you know, asking my next question, which is then how do we ground really women in the Bible that we read about in the Bible? How do we ground them? In other words, you know, someone might ask and say, okay, so now you're saying that we need to kind of understand them in their, you know, context and in their kind of systems, but how do we ground them? If yes, I want to learn moral lessons on them, but I also want to learn about them. But that seems very daunting. You know, do I have to take a a plane and go to Israel and go and (laughs) start digging in the ground? How do we really ground, you know, biblical woman, ancient Israelite woman, for example? How do we make them real without us just reading into their context and trying to find them in their settings? So, I mean, using the word ground is a great way to to think about um, a lot of the research that's been done in, uh, I don't know, in the last 40 or so years thinking about women, because 
until, I don't know, let's say the 1980s, no one thought much about women at all, except in the sense that you brought up in the first place, women as, you know, moral standards or the kind of women we should be or the kind of women we definitely shouldn't be. And people were not really worried about what women's lives actually were like. And the same, I want to say, is true for the average man. So it's not just that ancient women were ignored. They were, no question about it, but also the average farmer, the average shepherd, the, you know, the average working, work, working class. I mean, that's not maybe the right term, but the average working man, what was his life like? And there was not an awful lot known. Um, people were not that interested in it. Mm. But starting in the 1980s, maybe, people, women, I want to say people, but it's, of course, mostly women working in biblical studies began to really go back and analyze biblical texts and look for women in them. So by now, and Lauren, I'm going to send you, I, I can't do anything at the moment, but I'll send you, if your um, listeners will be interested, a couple of great like kind of popular encyclopedias um, named and unnamed women in the Hebrew Bible in all of the apocryphal and deuterocanonical Deuter canonical texts mm. and in the New Testament. All those women just listed with, you know, what we know about them from their texts. Um, mm. Another, um, there is another book that, go, Women in Scripture, that um goes through the Bible kind of book by book and points out where all the women are. That was the groundwork for looking at this. Um, and then um, the next part of it was looking at translations of Hebrew. I'm going to come to the archaeology side in, in a minute, but just yeah. let me stick with the Bible for right now. There are so many places in our translations of the Bible, whatever language we're reading it in, where women's roles are diminished hmm. um, with a word, for example, Jeremiah, as we all know, was a prophet. Hmm. Hulda is mentioned as a, often in translation as a prophetess. Hmm. And so what the heck is that? Probably nothing at all, just a polite title. Hmm. And there's so many places in the Bible where women's roles are diminished by translators mm. um, who have their own agendas and their agendas tend to be like most most agendas have been you know some kind of male um, hegemony or male supremacy and so women's roles have been in a way when they can't eradicate women from the bible but their importance has been diminished mm. so that's one kind of way that 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 biblical scholars, people who are working with texts, whether in the original Hebrew or in other languages, have really looked for women and tried to understand what their lives were like, who they were, what they did without mm -hmm. gender bias. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's hugely important. Mm -hmm. The other part of the story is looking for women where they were, where they lived, where they worked, and trying to understand what their daily lives were like. Um, 
every everybody worked. Um, and so to say women maintain their houses is not to say that they were housewives in that mm. old fashioned way where you assumed the housewife maybe vacuumed a little, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. dusted a little bit and then had a martini waiting for her husband when he came in from work, having that and that husband had done the real heavy lifting for the yeah. family. Um, I mean, that's a an idea that was prevalent for a while. But in reality, the society of Israel was built on men and women working together, making decisions together mm-hmm. about how to construct houses, how to use domestic space, how to, what to plant in the fields, when to, uh, you know, what to store, when to store, when to eat various products and so forth. And that's decision-making that has to be made by family units, by the adults and families, and not just by men. Mm-hmm. And so when we come to excavate ancient houses and storage areas and tools for grinding grain and making clothing and and all, and all of that we begin to see women in their daily life settings and we understand that they were as essential as men yeah. to keeping ancient Israel alive mm. once you begin to absorb the implications of that then you have the background to read the Bible better. I want to say read the Bible better, um, to read the Bible with more attention to women's lives. Hmm. I love that you brought up, I, I also feel like you brought up so many points there that are probably discussions on its own. But again, uh, it's that reality of thinking about where women were and what they were doing. Oh, Beth, I listened to such an interesting podcast recently, uh, was an interview with uh, Professor Jenny Ebeling, where she spoke mm-hmm. about um, ovens, you know, how she just studies ovens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Women's lives in biblical times. I've right, not- I was- I've not read that book yet because we can't get it here, but we'll chat about that. But I I just listened to the podcast because it was quick and how she was talking about just studying ovens. And you think to yourself, like, that is such an interesting concept. But she was talking about one that's been neglected for so long, you know, uh, among you know, archaeologists that came there and like, oh, it's an oven, it's whatever. But this is where women were as well. And the great agency that came from that because women, you know, seemed to be choosing their own ovens and they were custom made. So I'm pretty short. So I kind of think that my oven would be nice and short for me to deal with, you know, and, and also communal ovens where women would meet together and they would make food together and bake together. And then they would chat and catch up on the gossip, you know, and maybe mm-hmm. talk about their lives. And you begin to see them in their act, in your mind, at least in their settings. And I think that that's what becomes so exciting because now you're going, actually ovens can be found in all homes in ancient Israel, you know, probably. And now we're putting women in a space where they were, she also mentioned about finding other kind of implements close to the oven. So maybe like the looms, which we're probably going to touch on in our conversation as well. So women were doing multiple things and at, at that similar times, just like what many of us have to do today, this right. multitasking. And when we begin to, that's ground women like that. And like you're saying to us, see them in their spaces, you know, look at them and I love what you mentioned about men and women making decisions together in in ancient Israel as well, because that is something that goes against 
the way that people think today, you know? Uh, okay, so it's this hierarchy structure, but actually in ancient Israel, um, that may not have been the case. We can't say that it was this hierarchy structure that that existed there. And so there's just so many points that you're bringing up that actually is very exciting. It's all exciting. I have to say, to hear you talking about Jenny Ebeling's work, for me, is exciting. Jenny is um, someone who I first met when she was my student here mm. at University of Arizona. She was in the doctoral program. Um, and um, we began just like clicking work-wise and working together. I could tell you about grinding stones and food preparation, the work she's done on that, and we've remained um, such close friends. And also we just, you know, the kind of work that we do, I mean, she does other amazing things that have nothing to do with our mutual interests, but, yeah. um, you know, we've, and, and so I'm going to figure out, Lauren, how to get you a copy of this book, which I had pulled out yeah. um, so uh, that I could mention it amazing. to you because I think your readers would also really enjoy it, Women's Lives in Biblical Times, mm. because it's written to a very popular audience. You don't need a background in anything at all. And it has a beautiful story of a woman named Aura, mm. and it takes her through all of her day and life cycle and so forth, and then provides the background to it. And I know you do a similar kind of, of writing, um, mm -hmm. of kind of crafting biographies of ancient biblical women, or is not, she's a fictional woman that Jenny made up. But I think that might be a book your readers would like, we'll have to figure out how to make it available to them. But yeah, Jenny and I can work on that one. That would be incredible. And I know that for even those who are listening, they probably getting excited and thinking, oh my gosh, there are these resources out there, like you mentioning, and I will put those up as well so that, you know, I know that you who are listening live to us today on the show, uh, you know, you, you need to go and jump on over to the podcast after this. It will come out in a couple of days time. Don't forget on our website on kpulpa.co.za all these conversations come out on podcasts. So there I can set up all these links of, of all the resources that Beth has been telling us about and sharing with us, because it's important that we are giving you that information as well so that you can go on over and be able to see, okay, I really can do deeper research, but in a very accessible way. And we're going to take a really, really quick music break. We just want you to get as excited as we are about this topic. And we're going to take a quick music break. And when we get back though, we don't want you to go anyway, because Beth, is going to be sharing with me some archaeological finds about biblical women, women and how exciting that is because it means that we are actually seeing women in space and the land and that's so exciting so enjoy some music and see you when we get back yeah, with me, Lauren Jacobs, here on Voice of Change today. It's been such a great show already. I hope that you've been with myself and Professor Beth all the way out in Arizona. And we've been really chatting about biblical women. We kind of been touching the surface, really. And this is a topic that we are, of course, super excited about. We want to take you deeper into. So, Beth, this is what I wanted to ask you. I'm going to jump a little bit and I'm going to ask you to share with us you know, maybe five, maybe that's a lot, okay, but even if it's less than five, archaeological finds, maybe artifacts or, you know, any of the material, culture, anything really that shines a light on women's lives in ancient Israel. And maybe it was fascinating to you or exciting for you when you read about them or heard about them or discovered them or 
kind of were reflecting on them. And I think those archaeological finds really do stir us, don't they? Because it's like we are actually finding something about biblical women here that we can hold, not just that we can read. Right. So and I think that's one of the most common questions people ask archaeologists. What's the most exciting thing that you found? <laughs> yeah. So I think that lots of archaeologists... Israel, ancient Israel was not a wealthy country. It didn't compare at all, let's say, to ancient Egypt. And I'm sure all your listeners are, you know, familiar with the pyramids. I mean, your continent mm. and, you know, the beautiful finds from the tombs of the ancient kings and also things from Mesopotamia, ancient Iraq, you know, cuneiform tablets by mm. the tens of thousands and beautiful things from burials and so forth. Israel was a very modest, small, modest, and, and not very important country. I mean, important, you know, becomes important, yeah. but at some time it was not a deal breaker kind of place. Mm. And so um, we don't find, you know, lots of jewelry, lots of tablets, the kinds of things that people go, ooh, ah, when they see them on excavations. One thing that we do find a lot of are small figurines um, made out of clay, very simple figurines. Um, we call them pillar-based figurines because I don't know, you can hold them in their hand. your hand. The bottom part looks like kind of like a pillar and the upper part of the body is articulated. It's a woman's body. Hmm. Um, she's nude, her arms in some ways support her breast. And they are found, um, I don't know, a few thousand in ancient Israel, and particularly in the southern part, the part of Israel that was called Judah, mm -hmm. um, after uh, the death of King Solomon and that big split. I'm sure your um, listeners are familiar with all their Bible history. Mm. And so finding those figurines has created an enormous amount of discussion and controversy. Do they represent a goddess? Um, if they mm. represented a goddess, if, um, was it the goddess Asherah, who is mentioned so many times, 40 times or so in the Bible, mm. if they mention Asherah, and that, if they represent her, and that's um, what they're for, why are we finding them all throughout the land? And so that raises, I mean, people, other people think, no, it's not the goddess herself, but it's images called votives, images of worshipers hmm. who are showing themselves worshiping maybe that same goddess. So it's hmm. not, I don't think, an object about which we have the perfect answer. This is exactly what it is. Hmm. There are many discussions about it. And I, you know, leave that open for all of your listeners to think about and look into, but that's certainly an exciting thing that clearly relates to women. And mm. one of the things that we learn from this and also from other archeological dis discoveries, for example, some inscriptions that link the Lord, the God of Israel with Asherah, is that in ancient times, the idea was not a single male God who ran the whole show, but something like a divine couple. And these figurines in some way figure into that. So I don't want mm -hmm. to pursue that whole topic. That's another topic mm -hmm. for another time, mm -hmm. maybe. 
just raise that possibility. But what we do understand, not only from these figurines, but from what we know about ancient mortality rates is that is, and the fact that these figurines are found in domestic contexts, in villages, um, you know, in, in homes, maybe in a tomb, is that um, women in particular had things they needed to worry about that men don't. Mm-hmm. And didn't, and they still don't, all relating to childbirth, childbearing, to the high mortality rate that affect that, uh, you know, that um, all that whole process caused. So we know women died 10 years on average younger than men. Hmm. Um, women died at, on average at 30, men on average at 40. Childbirth oh. and the, that, that whole process is what relates to that. And almost a third of babies were dead by the time they reached by age five. So that women did have special things to pray about and pray for and hope for. Maybe these figurines factor into that. Hmm. We find sometimes in tombs beads or sometimes on excavations in villages, say beads or small amulets that also don't relate to the traditional religion of Israel, but probably to a kind of folkloric, and I say that in a positive way, Mm -hmm. like local religious sentiment where you feel like if you have something special that you put on a cord around your neck or on a cord around your baby's wrist, you choose a particular color or particular image, that that will be protective. And um, this is something we know from, you know, cross-cultural anthropological Mm. studies. And we find evidence for this in ancient Israel. So we can see really women protecting their communities from some of the kinds of dangers, medical dangers that um, arose. Because, of course, people had, you know, cures were all... um, all had to be done through incantation and prayer and so forth. It wasn't really the kind of medical healing that we have access to nowadays, Mm -hmm. of course. And people believed that illness and and death came from God. So Mm -hmm. they didn't think about this. Religion was part of that that whole system. So I find those, that whole complex of, of different things, Pulling them together and relating them, I think, to me is one of the things that illuminates women's lives and and women's stresses and and yearnings and and hopes Mm. and so forth for themselves, for their children, for their families. Mm. Um, Mm. That's really interesting. And like you said, it's, you know, I know with the beads, especially found in across different cultures from Nubia to Egypt and mm-hmm. we find them even in in graves during the Greek Roman period and people that you didn't expect to have these things on they do have them on and it's and almost culture is also impacting one another right and I think mm-hmm. that people don't really always think about that when they think about the ancient Near Eastern world that different cultures impacted each other because people were coming into contact with each other a lot so there was those different beliefs and things impacting one another and people being impacted and I think one of the, one of the interesting things is that women like you're saying women had to think about 
their experiences, like you're talking about childbirth and you're talking about, you know, being a mother, but also raising children. And I think that what people don't realize is that, you know, 30 is a very young age to die. And people would probably think, oh my goodness, why 30? Why are they passing away? But but it was a very different time. It's a very different world. And yes, we hear of King David and he was in his 70s when he passed away. But again, isn't it true that it was the elites and the royalty that lived longer because they had better access to food and better access to the things that they needed to sustain themselves? And so we have people in context and we have to think about them in context, you know, think about what that means. And I think that this is this is so interesting. And I know that we're going to continue touching on a little bit more. You know, Beth, this is so exciting. It's fascinating when we talk about archaeological findings and as it relates to women. And one of the other things that I know, I'm probably jumping a slightly a bit ahead, but I get excited when we talk about like looms and we talk about how women were creating clothing. And for the listeners who were kind of listening and going, what's this about? I guess you can kind of frame Proverbs 31 in your mind because you hear about this woman creating clothing and that her family are clothed in scarlet and she has no fear when it's winter time because they're warm and they have these clothes. And it sounds like very great spiritual lessons again that we can learn. But this is actually something physical that women were doing, right? And isn't this something that archaeology has played a big role in uncovering for us? So absolutely, and, and I'm so glad you brought up um, Proverbs 31 because sometimes it's held up as like the ideal woman. She does everything without thinking about what that means. And the fact that it starts like, I don't know, oh, depending on your translation, a woman of valor is hard to find. And every time I read that particular introduction, I think, really? Hmm. Because this is what women did. Um, maybe not all of them, certainly not all of them came from affluent families. And so they may not have had such a broad array of enterprise. Mm. But, you know, most women, most families lived in, you know, small, medium-sized villages or um, amongst a community of family members, you know, nuclear families and extended families. So, about family compounds, and you brought up, Lauren, the fact that women work cooperatively on so many kinds of projects. Um, mm. You talked about cooking, but I think we'll see that this is true not only for cooking, but for textile production and so forth. So maybe nowadays when, I mean, certainly nowadays when people own a field and raise a crop, this square acreage is mine and that square acreage mm. is yours. But in ancient times, farmers worked cooperatively from a village, farming in a valley, for example, and decisions had to be made. What fields are allocated for food products and which food products? What fields are allocated for I don't know, for growing flax or mm. to make linen clothing, or um, where are you going to, what are you going to allocate for livestock so you can have some wool for, you know, for making wool garments and so forth. So these are decisions that had to be made, made cooperatively, mm. not only among, between a husband and wife within a single family, but within communities. So we're so used to being individuals hmm. and having, you know, every person in every household has its own, you know, vibe and interest. But in antiquity, and I'm sure in 
you know, rural, in many rural areas until today, cooperation is what has to happen. So when that woman of valor, that woman in the proverb makes those decisions, she's part of a network of people making decisions. And she has to determine, because she's the one who knows how much product, let's say, is needed to produce different kinds of textiles, whether it's hangings to cover doorways, or it's some kind of a mat to sit on, or it's clothing for people to wear. She's the person who's going to have that information at hand, because she's the person who does that work. The Every process in an ancient household was extremely time consuming. I, I mean, that's obvious mm. um, from, you know, planting to harvesting to grinding grains to bringing them into the ha- ha- you know, in, into the house as, as something processed and edible. And the same is true for clothing. The whole process of acquiring the raw materials, spinning those raw materials, weaving those um uh, material weaving those str- strings, yarns on um, upright looms primarily, or working in basketry, which was also important. Every step of that was time-consuming, required organization, hmm. um, organization of household space, s- storage facilities, looms, um, uh, you know, spinning materials, and so forth. And we find on excavations. Some kinds of evidence, of course, the ancient textiles are, you know, long gone and and what's made out of wood or bone usually is long gone. But, Hmm. you know, we do find some evidence for, say, ancient looms. And we see that where those ancient looms are, and we can identify them often by the um, clay balls that are loom weights um, Mm -hmm. used for um, producing those textiles, they're near areas where women were also cooking or grinding or doing other activities. So I, Lauren, you brought up this idea of multitasking. There was no sense that, all right, now is the time I'm going to do this. Hmm. Then I'll take a break, <laughs> hang out, have some me time or, yeah. you know, whatever, and then move on to the next thing. All time was used more or less for production and even children from very early hmm. ages very early age worked on, um, you know, were trained to be part of the household economy. And and so when we find all these different kinds of, um, all this material culture evidence, um, even though it's not glamorous, it may be what look like hmm. a bunch of clay balls. I mean, who cares? But they're evidence for where a loom stood. We find the remains of a cooking oven or some the salt grinding stones, which is where Jenny Ebling got her, you know, did her first great work yeah. on um, on grinding grain and food preparation. We learned from those very simple objects how complicated life was and how um, women's roles were essential. Hmm. I say, I mean, there was no option. Well, dinner's not ready tonight. I'll just get takeout or yeah. I'll go out to eat or whatever. If, women, if, we, if nothing's there to eat and nothing's ready, then that's it. So women's roles were essential roles and not um, and not something either subservient or mm. um, less important than men's roles in all of this process. Mm. 
Sure. I, I, I kind of think that, again, because we're so far removed from the ancient culture and the ancient world, that, that the light that you're shedding on this reality of women's lives is so important for us to hear and to know and to understand. Like you're saying, you know, if food isn't prepared, you know, you're not just, you can't just go and, and order something in and get it delivered to your door, you know, like, like we have today, which is wonderful. I'm really grateful that we have that today, but you know, it's kind of then not looking at women's lives in the ancient world through where we are standing today and going, oh, well, she was making food all the time. So it meant that she was in that subservient, you know, kind of housewife role. That's a, kind of people try and understand today. No, it was essential to surviving, was essential to daily life and to having to live every single day. If you weren't doing that certain thing, people weren't eating or they didn't have clothes to wear or they didn't have those garments. So it was really about this was life and everybody was part of something greater and part of that network, as you explained it, it's it's part of community really. And, and like you said as well, I'm sure this is probably something that we do witness in, in rural areas or developing nations where people still live in a greater form of community where there is that connection. And, you know, Beth, I want to say thank you so much for being with me on the show today. And I can't believe that our time is up because I'm sure there's so much more that we're going to get into, but you have to come back at some stage to come and share more with us. But I want to say thank you so much because, uh, you know, even what you've shared with us today helps us ground biblical woman a bit more it gives us a bit more information and also just challenges the thought patterns of going hey i can discover biblical woman and it's not that difficult you know i can just think i need to just think a bit about this and i want to say thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing this with me it's been such a wonderful time together thank you so much lauren it's really an honor and a pleasure i'm excited by this conversation it has me thinking about a lot of things too you have such great questions and and observations about all of this and i'll look forward to continuing our discussion in the future for sure absolutely thank you so much beth and take care you too bye-bye thank you so much to professor beth for being with me today of course it was an exciting show and that's a word that we have been using throughout the last hour exciting fired up you know passionate and i know that when we get together and we share about things that really make our hearts joyful there is a passion and an excitement i'm so grateful for the many scholars and we need to honor that today as well the many scholars the professors those who work in scholarly and academic research to bring us the findings that they have found and to bring us the research that they have done and to bring it to us present it to us and allow us also to draw our own conclusions and you know that's something that we need to say as well that when we look at archaeological findings you will see that much of it is open to speculation much of it is open to interpretation and so sometimes we approach you know these findings or the artifacts the material culture and we look at it and we go Oh, this is what it means. Definitively, this is what it means. But actually, you know, there's a lot more to it that it's not always black and white. And we see that. But what we can do, what we should do is ground biblical woman. And that is what we what we can look at. And, you know, sometimes I want to say this. Maybe you're not the person that's going to do the research to ground biblical woman. Maybe you're going to listen to a teacher, a great teacher or, a, you know, a great maybe person that has found this information. You can listen, glean and then apply it. 
to your own personal Bible study. And that was really why I also wanted to have this conversation today, to really take you into a space to go, what is your challenge? What is your call? Yes, we're not all called to be teachers. Yes, we're not all called to find these things and to present it, but we should be listening to those who do. And especially when it comes to women in the Bible, we can realize that there's a lot more that we actually can understand if we dig deep and we listen closely and we go, hey, what does this really mean? But imagine, like we have been sharing, seeing the women of Israel in their own context. It's beautiful and it paints such a, an amazing picture for us to go, these were real women and these were their lives. Look, this is what they were doing. This is where they were. This is the space that they inhabited. And this was the agency and the freedom that they actually did have. And we can draw from that and be encouraged by that. It makes our Bible study a lot more real and also it changes the mindsets of it. So it's been a wonderful show and I've been blessed to be with you. Next week on the show, I'm going to be celebrating Literacy Day here right on Voice of Change. And yes, literacy is something that we are seeing a lot of. We are seeing it from banks to, you know, shops to buses in our cities around South Africa to places like McDonald's that are speaking about literacy to places like Woolworths. And really, we are seeing it everywhere saying literacy needs to become something that we draw more into. And how do we do that? And how are people doing that? How are, you know, organizations doing that? And also, how are big corporations doing that? We're going to touch on that on the show next week because our children deserve to know you know and have all that education given to them and it starts with us as caregivers as parents who need to just encourage that love of literacy in our children so we're going to be getting into that next week on the show i look forward to seeing you then take care and god bless this insert was brought to you by radio k pulpit 7 to 9 a.m please visit kpulpit.co.za